to you about the reason why Jesus came from the manger to the cross. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7 is going to start our journey through this Old Testament prophet. This is the same text that Matthew, one of the famous gospels, pulls from. And I want you to see why our Jesus is so special. It starts in the manger and ends at the cross and is confirmed by the resurrection. If you look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, or rather, yeah, verse 14, you hear familiar words which have already been read today. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. Everybody say Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Now, a lot of people during this time had the name of God in their name. Daniel, L, is the name of God, L. Elijah, Jah is the name of God in his name. As a matter of fact, Elijah actually has L and Yah in there. But what made this name specific is that people were not just going to use it as a name, like something you could say about somebody that was on earth and to have that name remind you of God, but literally this was going to be a description of a person. It was going to be a title. God would be with us in this person. Isaiah continues to write. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. Just A few chapters later, he then describes this child, this son, who's going to be given to us. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now notice the very specific words that are used here to help us understand the difference between the child being born and the son being given. Notice that it says a child is born, but a son is given. That means when the child is actually born in the womb, and you see the conception and then coming through the womb rather, that is not when the son came or where the son was created. The son came before the child being born. So a child is being born, there's a start at conception, and then there's a birth in the womb, but a son has existed before that. This is giving us the understanding that the son of God is coming in the form of man, and he is going to be born. So Jesus, as we soon to find out who that is, is existing before his birth. So he is born as a man this day, but he existed before that. That's why he is given. He is given to Mary to live inside of her womb and to experience what we would experience from start to finish. He is going to have a conception like a human, and he's going to have a death like a human. And most religions talk about humans trying to be God. But our story starts off with God becoming human. Do you see the difference? Read it again with me. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And keep going to verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
So here we see that a God is going to become a man. But is it any old God? Go back to verse 6. No, it is the mighty God. Well, for the Jews, how many mighty gods did they have? They are not in the Hindu tradition where gods become men to have sex with the women all the time or to pray tricks on their creation. If you look at the Hindu gods or the Greek gods, it's like they're having a soap opera. That is not the way Jewish people, and certainly this prophet who went out of his way in chapters 43 and 45 and 46 to say there's only one God, there's no God after me, there's no God before me, all the rest of them are liars and idols. I mean, this prophet fully understands to him there is only one God, yet he says that child who is born, that son that is given bears the name of our God. He is the mighty God. There's not many mighty gods. There's only one. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. These are the names of their God. Now, right here, sometimes people get a little bit confused, and they deny the Trinity and believe in what's called modalism, and they'll say, well, if this is Jesus, the one coming in the flesh, and he's called Wonderful Counselor, isn't that the same title that he gives the Holy Spirit in the book of John? He says the Holy Spirit is a counselor. And then we know the Father. We know him as the Father. So is there really only one person who is God who sometimes is the Father, sometimes he's the Son, and sometimes he's the Holy Spirit? After all, Matthew 28, 18 and 19 says, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Isn't that the name of Jesus? Jesus is the Father. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the Son. But that's an incorrect understanding of what Isaiah is teaching. Isaiah, when he says that he's the wonderful counselor, everlasting father, he's not saying that that means there's not the Holy Spirit or not the Father, but Jesus bears the same attributes as the Father, as the Holy Spirit. Let me explain. I'm a counselor, but am I Dr. Phil the counselor? No, we both can have the attributes of being a counselor, but am I the person of Dr. Phil even though I'm a counselor? No, I can be a father, but does that mean I'm Jim, my father? No, I'm not my dad, but I have the attributes of a father. So how does Jesus have the attribute of being a wonderful counselor without being the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus counsels us through his word. So he is the unique son of God who counsels us, and he bears that as an attribute, but he is not the Holy Spirit. How is he like a father? Well, he created us. Who's the one, according to the Bible, that actually knelt down, molded us out of the sand, and breathed into us? Who was that person? Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, that through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So now do you understand Jesus, the Son, is like the Father and the Holy Spirit, but he is not the Father and the Holy Spirit. That means the Father did not take on flesh, nor did the Holy Spirit. It's very clear. To us, a child is born, but a son is given. Who is Jesus? The Son. Now, you may want to look through the Gospels again and see the Trinity. At Jesus' baptism, there he is in the flesh. And who's speaking from heaven that says, this is my beloved son? Who is that? The Father. And then who comes down in the form of a dove? 
the Holy Spirit. Now, if we were modalists, we would have to say Jesus was playing a trick on us. Jesus is there in the water, pretending to be the Father, talking to himself, doing ventriloquism, and then he does a puppet show and comes down as a dove. Is that what he's doing? No. So how does Matthew explain to us the one name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The one name is not Jesus. The name Jesus is the name given to the Son. No, when it says the one name, baptizing the name, singular, of the persons of the Father, the person of the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit, the name is the name of God, Yahweh. And that's why when you go to Matthew, you don't have to turn there, but at Matthew it says, you shall call him Jesus. So he will be known by these titles, but his actual name will be Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Now, sometimes people get confused when it says he shall be called or his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. It lists off many names. But I want to show you here in the book of Isaiah translated by the Jewish people. Go there for us quickly. When you look at how they translated this, this is not a Christian translation. This is a Jewish translation. The same part at the beginning is the same. But do you notice right here it says his name, singular, not names, is called. And then they put a hyphen between the names as they say them in Hebrew, Pelel, Joaz, El, Gabor, Abi, Ad, Sar, Shalom. Now, I know there's some Latino people with long names, uh, but in the Arabic culture, you could have a long compounded name. So it's not, he shall be called names, wonderful counselor, so on and so forth. It's name, it's singular. But why is it singular? Because it's compounded. You don't have to turn there, but if you look to just the previous chapter in Isaiah, God tells him to have a baby with his wife and to name their son a compounded name, Mahar, Shalel, Hash, Baz, four names there. One name bearing rather the attributes of Jesus is the better way to look at it. So when it says he shall be called Emmanuel, that means we're going to look at him and say there's God with us. When he shall be called our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, that means he's the God that's among men with all the attributes of God. And when we say his actual name, Jesus, we're saying he's going to save us from our sins. Do you understand how special that is? is. That's why he came. Let's keep going now to Isaiah 53. Why didn't the Jewish people understand who Jesus was? They had Isaiah. They had exactly what we had. The problem was they did not attach to the Messiah, Isaiah chapter 53. They believed a God-like figure was going to come, have this power and all this ability, the same strength and might as the Father God, as the Spirit. But they did not see that servant, that child growing up and suffering. But yet I want to ask you a question. When I read Isaiah 53 in the same book as the other prophecies, do you think, if you didn't know it was from before Jesus, do you think it was written before or rather by someone at the foot of the cross reporting what they see? I want you to think about that. Oftentimes, if you were to read this, even to a Jewish person and ask them, who does this describe? They would say Jesus. They don't know their Bible very well, but they would say Jesus. And if you asked them who wrote that, they would say a Christian wrote that. And then you can show them, no, this was written by one of your prophets hundreds of years before it ever happened. Let's read through it. 
Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through the Lord, excuse me, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life. And to be satisfied by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's be honest to ourselves. Who is that describing? See, that's describing Jesus. But why didn't the Jewish people see the obvious nature that the the servant was also going to suffer? He wasn't just going to be a ruling God-like king. The reason is, is because they missed the heart of God. They thought they were such a special people that God only was going to have a plan for them and that if the Messiah was going to come and deliver them, it was for their sake, for Israel's sake. But they had forgotten the very promises their founding father received. The founding father of the Jewish people was Abraham. And when God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a special people. You're going to be the ones that I use to bless the earth. He didn't stop just with those people. He said, Abraham, through your people, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And they also forgot that through all of their sacrifices and all the things they did, that was only a type and shadow of Christ and his sacrifice. Now do you understand the power of John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gives his one and only son. To us a child is born, but to, but to us a son is given. The father so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have ever everlasting life. They missed the whole world and salvation. 
pretty big things to miss. We would have been no better, so let's not pick on them. But let us stop and think about this passage. What does it teach us? Jesus is coming from heaven as God, taking on the nature of man, not to conquer us, not to force us into his kingdom, not to take advantage of our women, but to come and die for his own creation so that the Father will lay upon him all of our sins and he will be our sin sacrifice and intercessor. Now you can understand, praise God, Jesus from the manger to the cross. But how many know Sunday's coming? We know how the story ends. He rises from the dead, and that's why he shows that you can't keep a good man down. He shows that the righteousness that he had could not be held down by sin, no matter how great it was. In other words, God's righteousness is greater than our wickedness. His mercy is greater than what we deserve in judgment. His love is greater than all of our hate, and his life is stronger than our death. Can I get an amen, somebody? So when we think about Christ's mass or Christ's celebration, that's what mass literally means as a celebration, though you couldn't tell it by going to a Catholic mass, but that's where the word came from. When you think about Christ's celebration, when you think about Christ coming to earth, don't let it go over your head or go out of your heart. Keep it in your heart and in your mind. He came so that he might die and resurrect so that I might live. There was an exchange for my sorrows on that cross to receive his joy. There was an exchange, my sickness, to receive his healing. There was an exchange for my sin to receive his righteousness. And today, no matter what we face, we know that he understands what we are going through. Let's go to our last passage in Matthew. Go to the beginning, Matthew chapter 1. It says, you will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. It's just not good enough to come to church. It's just not good enough to say, I, you know, I'm a Christian. I mark off that on a census. You have to be one of his people to receive the forgiveness. Are you one of God's people? You can be. All you have to do is be born again because no one is born into his people. We're all born under the wrath of God in the people of Adam and Eve because they sinned and they have passed it on to us and now we have a choice to make. Do we remain in our rebellion as the people of mankind against God or do we switch our people group to be his people, his gente, my kind of folks, come on, and become born again? again. Now that's where you get to decide. Jesus came. You didn't get to decide that. He did all that. He did that based on his decision. He was crucified, buried, rose again. That was all between the blessed Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. There is a heaven and there is a hell. All of that is outside of your choice. But your choice is to be whether or not as his person forgiven of sin and receive new life or to go to hell as your own person. As a person who says, I did it my way, like Frank Sinatra used to sing, I did it my way. 
You see, you can't do it your way and his way at the same time. That's why Jesus gave us the example of how to pray. How did he pray? My Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus always showed us how not to live as a mere human, but to live as a child of God. Jesus did not come as a superman. He came as an ordinary man. That's why if you pinched him, it would have hurt. When they punched him, he bled. When they spat upon him, it was humiliating. He came as a real man, but he came to show us that what he was doing in flesh, we could do by his power. So Jesus now becomes our example. And don't you want to be like Jesus? I mean, who else do you want to be like? I mean, first of all, just think about it. Everybody that you ever listen to now from a different religion is just a cheap imitation of this. No one has prophecies like Jesus. Nobody. I've studied them. Muhammad has none. Krishna has none. Buddha has none. They just show up and start teaching and pretending they got authority. Jesus fulfilled prophecy down to the letter, dotted the I and crossed the T, baby. And not only that, that still would have been impressive just for fulfilled prophecy, but that had even been done by our own books, in our own books, by our own prophets. But he went a step further. He defeated that which was defeating us. He whooped the enemy that was whooping us. He rose from the dead on the third day, and there's an empty tomb where if you go to Muhammad's tomb, they're still putting down flowers. They're still putting down flowers by Buddha. They're still putting down flowers by these Hindu gurus, but Jesus is too is empty, y'all. That's it. That settles it. Game over. Game over. And so for us during Christmas time, let us celebrate the reason for the season. The reason for the season is not for us to go into debt and to give each other gifts. After all, it's his birthday. That'd be like me going to your birthday party, spending all the money I have on one of your friends. You'd be like, why are you giving all this to my friend? It's my birthday. You're giving it all to each other. Give it to Jesus. Now, if you want to give gifts to each other, that's fine. But remember that Jesus is the greatest gift, and you're to give that to others. So if you're going to give out gifts, don't just give out something that can be returned, okay? Give out Jesus' message in the gospel, which will change them radically. Some of y'all, like me, you've got crazy family. How many got crazy family? When you get around that crazy family this holiday season, y'all bring them some Jesus. I know you got crazy family. I got crazy family. Some of them I can't even be around. I got to go show up and just surprise them. I'm back. So we got to give them Jesus because Jesus gave himself to us. Someone shared his message with us, and it's radically transformed our lives. If you believe that, will you stand up with me? Let's give it up for Jesus. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody say, gracias, Señor. Amen. We love you, Lord. Altar workers and band, would you come? Let's pray. Let's pray and end with people giving their hearts to Christ if you haven't done that yet. We've had a wonderful time here, haven't we? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask you to anoint this time. We pray for everyone here in this room that can... Uh, hear the sound of our voice right now, my voice, and those who have already preached that, Lord, if they're not right with you, they'll get right with you today. If someone hasn't asked you into their heart, they'll ask you into their heart. They'll make that decision to be your people. Right now, in an attitude of prayer, search your heart. Are you one of God's people? If you're not, just say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I want to come in and be one of yours. 
If you haven't heard the message like you did right now, believe it. He died. He, bar- he was buried. He rose again for you. And it started with a virgin birth, and it started with God coming in the flesh. This is an amazing story. There's nothing like it. Those of you who would say, maybe I'm a Christian pastor, but I haven't been living right. What do I do? Well, repent right now for those sins. You might be in the people of God, but you're not living like the people of God. It's like my my son or daughter. They're one of mine. They bear my name, but they don't always act like me, do they? They don't always do what's right. And so you may be in that place right now going, yeah, I believe all of this, Pastor, but I'm not acting like the way I should. Well, ask the Lord to forgive you, to give you grace, to give you mercy, to empower you to live for him. A few moments right now can change your life. Those of you who would say, I'm already born again and I'm living saved, why don't you pray for some of those that you're going to meet and hang out with during this holiday season. Pray for them to get saved. Or your coworkers, pray for them to get saved. Somebody needs you to pray for them and share that message with them, to explain it to them. Maybe you have Jewish friends, and you got to walk them through the prophecies and, it, and explain it had to be Jesus. If it wasn't Jesus, there is no Messiah. Who else could have done these things? few moments, few moments. Maybe you got friends of other religions. Bring them to the birth, the miraculous birth. Bring them to the miraculous death and resurrection. What transpired in the life of Jesus? He wasn't a merely a good teacher. He wasn't just a good man. He was the God-man coming to die for our sins. Few moments, few moments, everyone. Giving Jesus the proper place today. Few moments right now. Father, we ask you to change us, rearrange us, make us like your son Jesus. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Be inside us. Give us the mind and the thoughts of the Father and the Son. Help us to honor. Help us to honor what he gave us. Change me, Jesus. Change me. Make my words line up with your words, my thoughts to your thoughts, my attitudes, my actions, and all that I do from my family to my job. Oh, Lord, help us. You can start to come right now. We'll worship and Uh, pray together before we dismiss so please be patient but you can start making your way up here if you brought somebody with you you can come up with them or if you're going through something maybe just in your family and you need encouragement we'll start praying right now as we worship and then we'll dismiss let's not be in a hurry it's all about Jesus right you are here yes Lord you are here you're doing it God I thank you for those already coming